all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I'm honored to be a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and I have over 45 years' experience as an expert fire investigator. This is Donna Ingram, other host, and I have almost 30 years in fire and fraud. I'm a past director of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, most of our audience uh, listens on demand, and I understand that, but I do uh, appreciate uh, the live uh, people that listen live. Uh, today, we're going to have a, a, a show on uh, from Fire Investigations Industries. It's, um, it's a, a concern in uh, California. And uh, we've got two different guests coming on. Uh, they're, uh, they'll be signing on here shortly. There's Samantha Peak, who is a, a chief executive officer and director of research for fire investigations industry. She has a bachelor's in forensic chemistry and ha- has been a farmer research intern for ATF, uh, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Farms. Uh, also was a laboratory assistant for the Santa Clara County Crime Lab. She's also a fire investigator and worked over 200 fires uh, as a forensic chemist and, uh, and is also a certified evidence co- uh, collection technician through the IAAI. Um, Jeremy Davis is also with, uh, with that firm, um, fire, uh, fire Investigation Industries, and he's a vice president and director of training for them. And uh, he, he's a fire captain and had a position as a fire and arson and bomb investigator with Santa Clara County Fire Department. Uh, he is uh, also uh, a former board of director for the California Conference of Arson Investigators, CCAI, and a past president of the Santa Clara Arson Task Force. The CCAI is, um, is, has a wonderful reputation for, um, in California for uh, seminars all over California, uh, St. Louis Obispo um, and other places. Uh, Tom Fee, a past president of the International, is their main training person there. And you know Tom, don't you? Yeah, and they're basically the California chapter of the International Association of Arson Investigators. How many seminars do they put on a year? I think they put on two. I think they put one on one in North Northern California, one in Southern California. By the way, um, before we get to our guests, um, I want to send out a, a, a heartfelt uh, feeling that uh, about the, the fires that are going on uh, in um, in California. There's a lot of uh, wildfires going on, so people really need to be careful during the dry seasons on uh, throwing things out the window, starting campfires, or another, uh, even uh, barbecuing, all kinds of different things that can uh, ignite wildland fires, okay? Um, and so um, I guess we're uh, about ready to, um, to start with our guests. Uh, um, well, let's, let's talk to Sam first. Sam, are you there? Hi. Hi, how, how are you guys? doing? We're fine, I'm thank good. you. Good. It's nice and sunny out here in California. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're not in an area that's burning, are you? 
<laughs> no, fortunately, I mean, we've had a couple um, just small, you know, 60-acre fires around here, but it's pretty well controlled, luckily. That's great. I, I gave a, a little bit before you got on here, I gave you a little bit of your bio, but um, uh, I, I did leave out that you're an instructor and facilitator of the San Luis Obispo Fire Investigation Strike Team. Uh, and and are you still operating that way? Are you still an instructor? Yeah, yeah. yeah we and just so, finished our 10th year there. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. Now, we met you at the Kansas chapter of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and we're impressed with your presentation, uh, you and Jeremy. And, Jeremy, are you there? Hello. Hey, Mike. Hey, buddy. Okay, well, thank you for for being there. I also talked about you a little bit before you came on here. I told them that you're a past president of Santa Clara uh, County Arson uh, Task Force. and uh, But I, I didn't tell them that you were a state fire marshal investigator, too, and uh, a fire investigator, a certified fire investigator through California Conference of Investigators. Uh, let me ask you a question about that. That's my friend uh, Tom Fee is a past president of the International. I know you know Tom. Um, how difficult is it to get a, a CFI through California? Well, Mike, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it definitely, uh, they do not hand them out uh, very easily. Uh, and it makes it very nice because it really validates the CFI and, and what it means. And so you have to have a certain number of fires. Uh, you've got to have, um, uh, you know, a letter of recommendation, a certain amount of time as a, a fire investigator. And then you have to take a, uh, a written test based on uh, NFPA 1033 and the uh, 921. But uh, once you've got it, it, it's pretty nice to have those those three little letters after your name. So, absolutely, and it's uh, IAAI has a CFI program, you know, and um, and we uh, we. Is there any expert testimony involved in the um, California one? Do you have to have uh, testified as an expert at all? Yeah, the the uh, CCAI um, they their certification they line it up with IAAI as well. Uh, and as the IAAI, you need to have the expert witness testimony course, or you need to have testified, I believe, once or twice in the criminal courts on an arson uh, case. And so here in California, unfortunately, you know, with the arson cases, a lot of the stuff is uh, circumstantial evidence. So our DAs aren't absolutely jumping up and down to take our cases. They're very eager to plead them out. Um, and so I was lucky enough to have several cases go through court. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're one of those lucky ones, you don't uh, need to go through the expert witness course, but, uh, it is a good course. I highly recommend it. No, well, thank you, because I'm the primary instructor for that <laughs> and, 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 and for IAAI. I bet you didn't know that. But anyway, but here's the other here's the other fun thing. It is two testimonies if you don't have the course, but you can, you can take the ATF uh, courtroom, uh, the interrogation and, uh, and courtroom uh, uh, techniques, and you can also take the NFA course. So, I mean, there are ways for firefighters and and police to get uh, those two testimonies. And uh, I appreciate your letting me know about California. Um, and and go ahead. Oh, that's even in in the private world nowadays, uh, Jeremy. That litigation wise, I mean, they're just not they're just not going like they they were to court. 
Yeah, they're not calling too many witnesses anymore. Um, it depends on whether or not they deny the cases, of course, civilly, and you know that. Sam, have you been uh, have you been fortunate enough to be um, skewered in a uh, in a deposition and uh, tried to try to get you in in court or something? Uh, no, actually, not yet. I'm still holding out, though. <laughs> oh, oh, you'll get it. It's okay. Tell me about. Tell me about how did you get into even getting into forensic chemistry? You, you, how did you uh, get interested in that? Well, it's a, it's a long story, but the crux is really just um, I have a, an interest in fire as any good pyro, and so I <laughs> basically in my chemistry class uh, had a real interest in the Bunsen burner. And decided instead of, you know, going the chem lab with, like, the biotech world, I was like, you know, forensics is very interesting. Each case is different. And I was like, this is a really cool opportunity. And so I ended up um, getting my bachelor's degree in it. And after that, I worked in a crime lab for a short stint. And um, eventually that's where I met uh, Jeremy Davis. And I don't know if you know Eric Emanuel, but they basically... um, introduced me to private fire investigating and I was able to transition into doing that. So it's kind of all melded together into one big, um, great opportunity and journey. No, fantastic. You know, you were with ATF as a, an intern in their, um, their lab. How was that? That was, must've been very interesting. Cases all it, over the country, right? Oh, absolutely. I had an incredible supervisor and, um, they really, they do such a good job on educating the agents and local law enforcement, and they're they're very uh, well educated and well spoken, and they really want everybody to have the same information. They are willing to help out, and for me, um, you know, I spent my time learning about a lot of different types of explosives and analyzing it in the lab, and then I transitioned into other places in the lab, and really, I got a full-scale background on what they do at that lab and it's an incredible experience it really is and they're they're really good people i i don't have anything bad to say about the atf they're just really good people no i know that and, and i work with them closely and uh and uh in cedar and uh, i've taught down there <clears throat> excuse me but mm-hmm. uh, you were also a laboratory assistant for santa clara county how was that during that same period i mean or, or did you go from the atf to santa clara or what Yeah, I went from the ATF, and then um, I went into working as a lab assistant at the crime lab. And so uh, that's where I really uh, discovered that being in a crime lab wasn't um, something that, it wasn't really for me. (laughs) Um, I got you. Yeah, it was a unique experience, and I learned a lot about what happens behind the scenes and um, about, you know, truly what it takes to work in a crime lab. And it's a, it's a lot of hard work, and it's a lot of time at a lab bench, and I'm more of the want to get out in the scene, and I want to dig out fires, and um, I'm, I'm more of that kind of personality. So I just, it was a, it was a good experience, and I got some good research experience, and um, but definitely discovered that I have a real passion for fire investigating and being at crime scenes, and um, that was basically a blessing in disguise. <laughs> 
Well, that's great because I know you became a fire investigator and worked over 200 fires. Um, now, that, as a forensic chemist, now, uh, how did you get in with uh, with the fire investigation industries? I mean, um, you met Jeremy, and I'm sorry, I don't know the other uh, Mr. Manuel. But, oh, Don uh, Rowe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, so you just met him, and, and they said, "Oh boy, we need a forensic chemist, right?" <laughs> it was basically um, I was taking the state fire classes, and Jeremy was teaching it with um, Merced Fire Department, where uh, Don Rowe had recruited basically Jeremy Davis and Eric to um, to teach the state fire class, and so I was taking the class in conjunction and helping them. Um, I got to teach on like the explosives part and the evidence collection part. And so that's where we all kind of met and we just kept a relationship uh, for a couple of years. And eventually Don Rowe retired from Merced and then he was looking to get into private fire investigating. And so he started a company and I was looking to um, down the road, eventually start a company or, you know, stay with my, um, my old company, but uh, basically Don Rowe was like, well, you know, you're more than welcome to come and participate and, you know, become a partner with me. And um, basically we just, it kind of all melded together. Uh, Jeremy runs our training division. Don Rowe runs our investigation division. I run the research division. And it's it's been a pretty, um, pretty great experience to have um, three divisions that kind of play off each other. And, sure. you know, we can kind of really uh, expand on our knowledge of fire and um, we can push that out to the other fire investigators. And so that's kind of how we started as a company with this idea in mind of basically um, working together in those three divisions to make sure that we stay on top of the industry and are in the forefront of, you know, technology and research and all of that. So, sure. um, it's Yeah. And well, Jeremy, um, let me. You're the vice president uh, of fire investigation industries uh, and the director of training. Uh, in fact, we met you, uh, as I said, at the Kansas chapter of the IAAI. So you're you're also training. You're 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 not only training in California. You're training in different parts of the country, right? Yeah, Mike. It's I'll tell you that's that's really been my passion and desires. When I first got into fire investigations about 20 years ago. Uh, there was, I was kind of thrown in the fire and I had to trip and fall and, and go through a bunch of weeds to figure out what the heck, uh, I was supposed to do. And, and, uh, it was quite a challenge. And so what I decided to do is, uh, with my passion of training is I wanted to prevent the next person that either follows my footsteps or someone else's to go through the same thing. And so, um, I've been training ever since about 2000. And uh, now we, you know, we teach a, a number of different uh, courses, and we kind of travel all over the United States. And we're trying to get out to uh, Tahiti or Hawaii or, and the fun places, but we haven't quite uh, made it out there yeah. yet. But yeah, well, I, I got a, it, I got a connection for you in North Dakota. Um, <laughs> you want to go up there in the winter, though. You don't want to go up there in the summer. You better go up there. No, I, I actually, I actually do have a connection to North Dakota. I could pick you up. But anyway, but uh, well, you do now. Tell the tell the audience here what kind of uh, topics, uh, Jeremy, do you guys teach, um, so that they're aware. Yeah, Mike. Uh, well, we teach a, a number of topics. I teach the uh, 
state fire investigation courses here in California, and that's basically everything from your fire pattern recognition to your thermodynamics, evidence collection, scene uh, investigation. We teach a fire investigation 101 course, which we developed, and uh, what that course is is basically we bring it around to different fire departments and it's like a perfect introduction into the A to Z investigation. Uh, and it's perfect for fire captains or anyone that's just getting into investigations. Uh, that's we do a, yeah, yeah, we Go do ahead. a forensic, forensic vehicle fire investigation class where we bring vehicles out. It's a 40-hour class, and you actually go through and you're given a, your own, you know, a, a group of four people, and you go through an investigation of a vehicle and do a presentation. Uh, we do a, a hands-on electrical course uh, where we actually come out and we do all the electrical failures. You not only get the theory of it, but you also get to see it happen right in front of you. And those who testify to that, it's you know something to say to actually say, not only do I understand it, but I've seen it and I've witnessed it. Um, and so you can actually uh, overcome the Daubert challenge when that comes, if it's involved with electrical. Um, and you'd mentioned we do the uh, fire depth investigation course, and that's that's one that's really been uh, a very popular one for us. And mm-hmm. um, we, I think we do a course on evidence uh, collection, the CSI course. So we kind of just dabble in all the different uh, aspects of fire investigations. So. Well, you, you know, um, I want you to uh, tell people how do you, how do people get in touch with you? I mean, I can. Uh, why don't you give us like your your website or something like that? Yeah, if you go to fireinvestigationindustries.com, dot uh, com, on there you click on our. Uh, you'll see all the information on our uh, website as far as our contact information, and then if you go under training. Uh, there will be a uh, list of catalogs uh, or a catalog uh, list of classes. And so there are classes that we have scheduled that will be on that page. And also, if you would like to request a class, then basically you just give uh, me, uh, shoot me an email or a phone call. We can kind of talk about uh, what your needs are and what we can provide. And uh, we've never said no to anyone. Uh, mm. At this point, you know, we just we're about getting the information out there and uh, trying to eliminate uh, different investigation investigators to getting on the stand and uh, making uh, case law. And so, Jeremy, you're training both public and private, correct? That, yes, absolutely. Yeah, we train both public and private because, you know, really there's not a huge distinction. Uh, the Publics, whether you're public or private, you're still going to be doing the same systematic approach with the origin and cause investigation. Now, where the biggest difference is, is on the, on the public side, you know, we're looking at the criminal aspects of it. Um, and so we teach like interview interrogation and that sort of thing that, that really is, is focused on the, the investigation part of it. But you can also use it on the private side with your normal interviews and the private side is a lot more towards, you know, the civil and subrogation. Um, and we, so we kind of educate on, on that as well. Yeah, and that's really good because uh, you're actually doing, um, well, that's, you know, 
you know, I'm a big member of the IWI. It's uh, we we train a lot too uh, through our chapters, and I know that's uh, where you go sometimes. But I'm I'm interested, Samantha. You um, you're a forensic chemist, so you teach a class. I know you do. You teach classes. Um, <laughs> do you speak English or do you speak scientist? <laughs> uh, well, um, what I've learned is the most important part is not speaking above. Um, you know, a lot of people haven't taken, like, organic chemistry, for example, mm-hmm. or inorganic mm-hmm. chemistry or physics. And so, currently, I really try hard to um, convey and break down anything that has to do with chemistry-related topics. Right. Excuse me. So, for instance, we have a fire patterns class, and it'll be teaching about fire dynamics and... Um, about entropy and heat enthalpy, and you can get into all of that and the physics and all of that. But really what it comes down to is, you know, you have to be able to convey to not only, um, you know, firefighters, but you're also conveying to the public and to even the jury, you know, to basically break down what you're looking at when you're looking at fire and when you're looking at these burnt materials, you know, we can go into synthetic materials and, you know, temperatures and all of that. But really, you want to educate um, and using the science terms is just, you know, it doesn't always go very far <laughs> in my experience. So, And I think that's great that you just talked about something uh, about a temperature of something that's burning. Uh, I always, and I, I say this almost every show, that fire investigation is a science and an art. The art not being painting, you know, oil canvases, but the art is putting things together and mm-hmm. the art of interpretation. Yes. And one yes, other absolutely. thing is... And and one other thing, I'm sure glad to hear that you speak English because, you know, um, I always teach in my expert witness classes, you don't talk about stoichiometric ratios and you don't talk about, uh, you don't talk about fluid mechanics. You talk about something that the, that the jury will understand. And first of all, uh, first of all, the fire investigators have to understand it. If you're constantly talking about heat release rates are the equations for flashover, then you're going to lose a lot of students. But Absolutely. you'll lose a lot of juries, and and I know you speak English because I've seen it in your class. But uh, I wanted it to, I wanted, I wanted you to say that to the, to our listening audience that you you know how to convey uh, thoughts without getting into the minutia of the well. Here's the here's the equation. Uh, that's mm-hmm. how you get here. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, and that's- in the past, you know, my my past experiences with taking those kinds of classes. I go look around the room and I just see people are glazed over because it's, it's not being broken down into something that they understand. And so what we try really hard to accomplish in our classes is basically taking those terms and just kind of demonstrating it visually and also explaining what they really mean. So when they have that opportunity and they're on the stand and perhaps they are getting questioned about what is heat release rate, they'll have examples, they'll have experience, they would have witnessed it and, you know, like our burn cells when we burn, you know, and we try to really break that language down to them um, for that exact reason, right? Because they need to understand what they're looking at and they need to be able to walk into a building that was on fire and connect all those things and basically articulate that in their report. 
Right. And Jeremy, you also pointed out uh, that you talk about interviewing and interrogation. And there's another thing where there's a difference and someone's going to be asked and you're able to break down the difference. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, one of my favorite courses that, uh, that we teach. And, you know, I got into just the whole, you know, human behavior and talking about the sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system and, and just the study of behaviors. And uh, during our classes, we choose a student without them knowing, and we, we set up a situation to where they get placed into a situation without being known. And then during class, during the instruction part of it, we bring that student up in front of the class and we absolutely do an interview and interrogation so you can see all the clustering effects and you can see the rapid eye movements and, and it is absolutely it's it's like it's like you're you're at a magic show because the students kinda of <laughs> open up their eyes and they're like, Holy smokes, it really works and and I'll tell you it, it is an absolute blast and it's about not like kinda of like what you guys are saying, it's about talking to everybody and trying to explain it in the most common terms and ways that they are going to understand it. Because if you talk over their head, the minute after the minute you send them on break and they come back, they've already lost it. So uh, it's one of the things that we really try to do in whatever class that we do is we try to make it fun, interactive, and we really bring it down to no pun intended, but the firefighter level. So you know you got to keep you got to keep us energized. You got to keep us entertained. Otherwise, you're going to lose us because our our attention span span isn't that good. Well, I sure hope you uh, supply those students slash victims a door prize of some sort after oh, you do that to them. We, we we definitely take good care of them. That that's for sure. And they they are celebrities of that class each time, and uh, we we have a lot of fun with it. Right. Well, well, thank you. I'll tell you what, I'm really enjoying this. Um, uh, we, we're going to talk in the second section. We've only got two minutes left here. So we're going to talk in the second section about uh, the focus of origin and cause investigations and, and um, what kind of training that you believe that uh, the fire investigators ought to um, have. And then uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by a question you, you sent that you, uh, ethical traps. Ethical traps between private and public investigators. So there's a nice little teaser uh, for the for the next section, the ethical traps. So I'm going to see. Uh, yeah, I, I teach a course on ethics. Uh, when I was president of the international, I had the first ethics uh, course ever uh, put up for fire investigators by T.D. Hewitt and uh, Wayne McKenna, and uh, they subsequently wrote a book about that. But uh, I'm very interested in that. So when you come back. Just come back to Speaking of Fire. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. 
We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for listening. Well, well, while we were on break, um, I, I, I didn't insult. I actually uh, was giving a compliment to Sam. I said, you sound very young and energetic. And, uh, and so uh, Jeremy thinks he's, I call them old and, and decrepit. And they're not true, either one, both of them. I, I know, but I mean, I've seen both of these guys, and honest to God, they're, they're, they're actually nice-looking people, and they know what they're talking about. So I just wanted to let clarify that so my, so my co-host won't hit me when we get off the air. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I, had to, I had to jump in there on that one myself. And, and he has also never called me uh, young and... You're young, energetic. <laughs> You're young and energetic. Well, I've known you for a number of years. I was going to say almost 30 years in, I am. But uh, no, that's great to hear both of you. And, and he's right. The energy that you're putting out into this, um, having been around for so long, uh, I, I really, really like to see this. And Samantha, you were talking earlier about how you break things down into English out of jargon, and that is so important. Um, so thank you for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so after, now, um, and neither one of you guys can start this, but uh, one of the things that, that we want to talk to people about, and we never tell them about how we do the origin and cause investigation, of course, because some people set fires on purpose, and when they do, we catch them. So, um, what, one of the things we want to do is, is talk about what you guys believe the focus of the origin and cause in, uh, investigation should be for the for the pr- uh, public and private investigators. Who uh, either one of you can take begin it anyway? Jeremy, well, you want to start? Yeah. yeah. Well, why don't I? I'll speak on the uh, the public side, uh, okay. and then I, I think that a, a great transition is Sam can uh, come up right behind me on the private side. Um, Great. Although we're talking about two different investigations, the public side and private side, the public side 
really is the origin and cause investigation and with the goal to determine whether what the actual cause of the fire is. And I think that, that we have a line in the sand saying that at least, you know, out here in California, that once you determine that the fire is accidental, uh, you've determined in order to come up with that, of course, you've got to have the origin of the fire and you've got to have the cause, and then you can determine, you know, you can classify the fire. And in California, uh, on, the, on the public side, as soon as you determine that the fire is accidental, then at that point, it's all about securing the scene, securing the evidence or, or preserving the evidence for the private investigator to come in. Um, now, if, if we determine that the fire is a arson fire intentionally set or there's a criminal intent or criminal side of that fire, now the public side continues their investigation past the origin and cause into the actual investigation and with our department, uh, we actually take it all the way through to the adjudication, which is pretty uh, interesting. And so when we're talking about the actual way that you do the origin and cause investigation, it is the same for public and private up to a, the point that the fire is determined accidental. Yeah, well, I'm going to ask you about that. Because you see, we're, some departments have a, have a little bit of a problem in that uh, after they determined that the cause of the fire was certainly not incendiary, it was not an, on purpose, not an arson fire, then uh, they, let's say it was a product, product, uh, let's say it was a toaster. Some people have, uh, some uh, fire departments have this tendency to grab that toaster, bring it into the station, and either want to put it in their public, uh, you know, public relations uh, uh, talks, or they want to take it apart and find out just what went wrong. What do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I've got three words for that. It's called spoilation of evidence. That's uh, exactly your insurance, right. your insurance companies will absolutely love that because sometimes it's easier to prove the spoilation of evidence and hold someone more accountable for that than it is to actually prove that the uh, say uh, manufacturer of the toaster oven uh, failed to make a, a reliable product. And so if, uh, if any fire department is out there uh, collecting those things for either uh, desk weights or uh, just curiosity to tear it apart, um, you know, I, I definitely think that there'll be some insurance companies and investigators that are going to knock on your door and thank you very much. Uh, that's kind of a gimme. Um, I highly, what we do in our department, and what I would recommend to keep yourself out of that spoilation of evidence arena is, you know, if you've determined that the fire uh, origin and cause was due to a toaster in the kitchen, um, the, what, what we do is we will uh, leave a, uh, a tag on it saying that this is potential evidence and do not destroy or remove until uh, you get the clearance from the insurance company. And then I take photographs, that's one of my last photographs that I take to show that when I left the scene, I did all my due diligence to uh, keep that intact and, and secure for the private investigator. Now, if the, some fire departments say, well, it is possible evidence, we're going to go ahead and take it, put it in our evident locker, and what we're going to do is we'll keep it until the private investigator asks for it, and then we can hand it over. That's 
that's definitely good, but just understand you are taking liability because if for some reason uh, something happens, maybe your evidence room has a fire or something, and that evidence goes away, you're now back on the uh, back on the chopping block, and you could find yourself in you know that liability. And that's something I I do not suggest either. Is uh, just for example, electronic components can break, fall, uh, pieces can fall away unless it's wrapped properly or if it's dropped, uh, anything like that. So we here in our local area ask our our people to please just leave it just leave it alone and let us deal with it right and i i give them the same uh thank you for saying that jeremy because i give them the same advice uh about uh, leaving it in position, uh, shoot your photographs. Uh, we we have we recommend that they tape off the area as well. Uh, not only tag it but tape it so that uh, their last photographs show how you left it at the scene. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's advice, good advice for all fire departments. Uh, and uh, and the private investigators come along and and frankly, um, you know, they're interested uh, in. And that's what we'll talk about uh, with uh, Sam, that we have separate but parallel um, uh, investigations going on. And uh, Sam, talk about private investigators and what their, what their process is. Yeah, so what usually happens is that uh, the person whose house was um, obviously had a fire at, they make their claim and the insurance company will um, contract out the fire investigating company to come and do a separate fire investigation um, separate from the fire department. And so what we do is the same origin and cause. Um, the Really what Jeremy um, was hitting on is so true. We, we get down to like the exact cause if we can of if it is accidental um, and you have that toaster and you suspect that within that toaster uh, something malfunctioned and failed and caused the fire, uh, we essentially are going to collect that as evidence and we are going to pursue uh, what exactly failed within that toaster. Um, was it an issue when it came to the company and that it was a production issue? Um, was it something that uh, was human-caused event, um, wasn't cleaned enough, that kind of situation. And so once we collect it, we put the company um, of the manufacturer on notice. We have a joint inspection, and uh, we're looking at trying to identify the exact failure and the exact cause of that failure. And that will lead to the civil side of things where we're going to court over that failure and trying to um, help the insurance company recuperate their funds from um, the failure of the toaster and paying out for the claim that the failure of the toaster caused as a fire. Yes, you're very correct there. And, And, you know, some people believe and inappropriately that if they accidentally cause the fire that the insurance company is not going to pay them or if they know what happened they don't say or they'll say something else happened because they're afraid that their their insurance company is not going to pay i'll give you a great example great example of this is a microwave okay there's a microwave fire uh, it's in the kitchen. They put the microwave and the, and the coffee maker people on notice and, and stuff. We bring it in, and, of course, uh, it's the microwave. And uh, and so we got to figure out what's going on with this microwave. Well, it turns out that a little four-year-old decided that he was going to warm up 
um, a, a donut in a bag, in a paper bag. So he put it on, and then he went upstairs. Well, he put it on for 11 minutes, okay? And uh, wow. there was a, a little bit of a fire, you see? Now, that's not a problem for the, for the microwave company. And, uh, and it was pretty obvious from the beginning that there was, the fire was in the microwave, but people weren't exactly telling the truth about what was going on, you see? And so I'm sure you've mm-hmm. run across that too. Not only that, in, in, in private investigations, we run it all the time, but, but Jeremy, you probably run across that too, don't you, in uh, public investigations too? Ab- absolutely, Mike. And, and I'll tell you, it, what I love and kind of what I teach is uh, people that go out and intentionally set fires, a lot of times and a lot of the arrests I've made they are very ego-driven, and it is wonderful when they are because you can use that against them. And so one of the first things I start to ask them is, did you have any candles in the area? Did you have any incense? And you can kind of twist that. To, and the last thing they want to do is tell you that they made a mistake. And mm-hmm. so, you know, those are one of the early interview questions that you make so that later down the road when you, you know, when you get the story they don't reintroduce that that stuff but yes i mean that that information is very very important yeah I, I, you know it's, it, you and i share a, a a love and the love is of, of interviewing um an interrogation i used to be a police detective uh in you know my younger days and uh and i've always been a, a an investigator of some type uh, since uh i went into the air force with the air police but People, getting along with people, getting to know people, getting to see their reactions and ask the questions are the are the most important part. I, I always recommend that uh, fire, fire investigators and firefighters take interviewing and interrogation courses if they have to go to their local, um, you know, community college or whatever or take your course. That would be terrific, you know. And uh, so, and what do you think about uh, what about firefighters taking uh, interviewing courses? You know, I, I absolutely, uh, I, I think there's a huge value to that. And when we're talking about whether it be fire investigations, fire suppression, law enforcement, we are in, <clears throat> we're in the business of people. And we are, uh, I think, as, as firefighters, uh, there are times that we just kind of forget that we're dealing with people and, and the worst days they've ever had, uh, where I think pulling it back and then reteaching them the, the skills of communicating and the different ways of communicating and not just giving the communication, but actually receiving the information and listening to what they're saying. You'll get a very little bit about what they're saying from their actual words. Most of what you're going to receive is the body language, and anyone that's been married before absolutely knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, that body language tells it all. But I think there's a huge value for uh, that interview and interrogation, um, you know, taking that class. I don't, I don't see any downfall on that at all. And that's good that you said that is... is these are things that we already know. These are things that students that go into interviewing classes already know. And it's the old 80-20 rule. You know, 80% uh-huh. listening, 20% asking questions. Yep. Yeah. 
content. And, and uh, you know, it's really funny is uh, yeah, a lot of people don't. Uh, well, let's let me let me be blunt. Um, a lot of uh, firefighters are just wonderful, terrific people. And I, I love them to death, but they are not very skeptical. I have to teach skepticism. I have to teach. Uh, now, cops, on the other hand, co- uh, cops are skeptical, and you have to teach about to be uh, a little bit less, uh, let's say, suspicious. But uh, right. yes, but uh, but uh, and I've worked both sides of this. I, I've never been a firefighter, but uh, I've had so many firefighters say, "Well, so they're telling us the truth when when they're they're lying." Uh, Sam, did you have any trouble uh, in, when you first came? You're a, you're you're a scientist. Did, did you uh, did you have any trouble uh, uh, getting any skepticism going, or did you uh, grow up with it? I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, and a lot of people ask me that question, and I don't I don't know why, but uh, I'm, I've always been kind of an extrovert. And one uh-huh. of the things we teach in our classes is basically going out and practicing talking to people. And so um, my entire life, I've always been really interested in what people have to say, and I've always been a really good listener. Um, and just always curious about how people operate, their body language, things like that. And, of course, it took uh, a bit of practice, and it still does. There's still things that throw me for a loop um, when I'm at my scenes. And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I, you know, I didn't notice this until after or something when you're thinking about it. Um, but it, it was definitely something that needed to be um, practiced and continues to be uh, something that should be now uh we encourage our, in our classes, we encourage people to go out um, if they're at the end of the class period, we'll say, okay, you guys go out to dinner and we want you guys to meet like five people and have a conversation. And we encourage them to practice asking them about their lives and asking, you know, what they do and uh, talk to complete strangers because that's essentially what we do every day for fire investigating is we have a situation with the fire and we have to talk to people. And so that's one of the things that we really focus on is teaching people, you know, you have to put yourself out there um, and learn about, you know, people and how they react and um, kind of just learning about that. And, you know, it, it definitely is something that hit on Jeremy hit on was that um, it is a people business and, when I go into fires a couple of days afterwards and we're dealing with the homeowners who are just, just complete, just, just traumatized and mm-hmm. they'll sit there. And one of the best things for me is music to my ears is when they say, I had these firefighters in my house and they just did such a good job. They took such good care of me. I told them that, yeah, my, my son was at the microwave and I think he probably started the fire and, you know, they just were so good to me and they were so calming and they really took care of me. And to me, that that's where I truly believe that, you know, um, that people business aspect really comes in. And, you know, we talked about people lying at the scene and, you know, it's, it's really, if you know why they're lying, then you can kind of talk them through it, you know, and you can kind right. of help them out. But I definitely think there's a... Um, taking that interview and interrogation is helpful, but I also think just getting out in the public and just putting yourself out there and getting to talk to people is a huge asset as well. Right, and I find I find a lot of people. Uh, I mean, some people are. You and I are extroverts, okay, and and uh, and so is Donna, and we um, 
Uh, she's more low re, more reserved than I do. She doesn't dance on tables and stuff. Anyway, but the bottom line is the the bottom line is this: is that uh, I when I was a kid, I I read how to win friends and influence people because I was a goofy looking kid and I wanted some friends, I guess. Anyway, bottom line though is you're right. Talking to people and some people are more afraid of pub, you know public speaking is they're more afraid of death than public speaking. Well, sometimes we have to encourage these fire investigators, as, as you said, to speak to a lot of people and then read them. Um, and, and Jeremy, you, you teach that in your class, and I know Sam backs you up here um, 100%. Uh, do you, are you st- well, in St. Louis, I have a best friend that we're both on the major case squad together, and we went out and, uh, one evening and we were taken on a Nantucket boat ride. Do you know what a Nantucket boat ride is? That's when we were I've fed a lot. I've never heard of it. That, well, it's called being fed a lot of bologna and eating it. Okay. Oh, so, okay. I, I've yes. been there. I think I took that ride before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's called, it's called uh, believing something you shouldn't have believed. All right. So, and, we, and we're on the major case squad. We thought we knew something, right? But every once in a while, I just want to encourage people to know that even the professionals will every once in a while go on a Nantucket boat ride and actually believe somebody that they shouldn't believe, but uh, we tried our strongest not to. And you're gonna tell them in your courses, you're gonna tell them what to look for, that little, those deceptive, nonverbal cues of deception, right? Absolutely, and there's there's so many of them, and we have videos that we show, and, and I'll tell you, once, you know, once you get just a little taste of those nonverbal cues, and then understand where they come from, you know, as far as, What's going on with their thought process, whether it's coming from their imagination side or their memory side of the brain, that once you get that little bit, then it becomes fun. And I always warn them that when they go home, do not use this on the wives or children because once they find out, they get very, very upset. But I'll tell you, it's it's a lot of fun. And hearing the stories a year or two later, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always tell them don't use it at home because, first of all, it, it doesn't work very well because you want to believe them because you love them. Yeah. You want to believe them. Yep. So that that's one thing. And uh, I, not that I'm a serial husband or anything. Oh, yeah, I am. Anyway, the bottom line is that uh, there could be red flags going off and, and, and rockets, and sometimes you just really want to believe that. And so, exactly. uh, yeah, it doesn't work as home as, as so well. The uh, one more thing, though, I'm, I'm very interested in uh, the ethical traps thing. Uh, there are there ethical ethical traps between public and private investigators. What is that? Um, Sam, I'll, would you like to take the lead on this one? No, no, you are doing a great job. You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, through, I've worked both in the public and private. Sectors and and I'll tell you, there's uh, although they are the same investigation, we're looking at the same amount of facts. Uh, oftentimes, coming in as a private investigator, it's a little bit more challenging than you did public because you've got some things that have changed because of overhaul, uh, salvage and overhaul things. But I think where the trap comes from is in the public side. The trap you really need to look for is, I think NFPA 921 states it very well, and in the last uh, couple of publications they've hit hard on it, is the bias. Uh, Mm -hmm. You go into an investigation, if you go into it with a bias, 
then it doesn't matter what facts you look at. It doesn't matter what patterns you look at. It doesn't matter what your uh, suspect or subject says to you. Your your minds are automatically going to steer you one way. Now let's take a uh, let's take a scenario where it is a toaster oven. Uh, I look at it and I'm thinking, okay, well, it's accidental. It could be the toaster oven or it could be a coffee maker. Uh, mm. I'm not sure, but I'm going to go that those are my two possible heat sources. Um, here, here's my fuels, my target fuels, and here's the event that brought the two together. I'm going accidental and letting the private investigator go there, or the public, uh, or the private investigator go there. So then the private investigator comes in, and I believe that we're we're in some of the situations I've been at is sometimes if you go down and you're like, well. I can't really tell if it's the toaster oven or the coffee pot. You may, your uh, insurance SIU person, Special Investigations Unit, uh, may say, well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do a subrogation on this, and we want you to come in and talk to the attorney that's going to be handling this case. And the attorney might try to push you one direction or the other based on their past cases uh, based on maybe they know that uh-huh. some being on this fire loss is, you know, 200000 well, and that they will settle uh, rather than go to court. So that would be an easier thing. And right, I think so, that on... Yeah. Anyway, on I'm the, sorry. I'm the, sorry. We've only got two minutes left, but... Uh, okay. On, yeah, the, on the private side, on the private side, I think that you we really got to make sure that we follow the facts and we follow the what we see based on on the facts, not try to make it work for our investigations or right. our clients. The, you're absolutely right. We're truth seekers, not case makers. It's part of our code of ethics and the International Association of Arson Investigators. We do not go in with expectation bias or confirmation bias, which is 921. You are so correct. And I want to tell you guys, you are great. I'm sure glad that you consented to be on our show. Yes, thank you. Sam, Sam, thank you for being there. And, you know, keep speaking English to us poor slobs out here that don't understand equations, okay? (laughs) And Jeremy. I uh, will. uh, You promise? Okay, thank you. Now, um, and then uh, Jeremy, uh, keep up the great work. Um, uh, You both are very articulate, and I appreciate your, your being here. Thank you, too. Well, thank, thank you, you very for much, Mike, us. for the opportunity, and uh, we'll come back anytime we're invited. Okay, then how about this? Quickly, give us your, your website again. It's fireinvestigationindustries.com, and there you'll find all the information to our training and uh, different services that we provide. Thanks, and thank you. And next week, we're going to have fire, con- uh, it's called CFIS, Fire Consolidated. Consolidated Fire Investigation Services. Now, haha, that's a brand new thing. Go ahead. And let me explain why you keep mixing that up because everybody's going, what is he talking about? Our company is FCI. This is CFIS. So yes. we're garbling that around. And CFIS and fireanalysis.net. And it's a brand new thing of an alliance of 200 investigators all over the United States. And I'm hoping that Jeremy and Sam will join us in that. So, Come back when you come back next week. Come back to Speaking of Fire.
thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.